this morning, our message, our continuing series, Against the Grain, and this um, focus that we've had for a few weeks now as we've been in uh, this season of, of Lent in the, the teachings of Jesus specifically and of the gospel and of our faith that um, challenge our natural inclination, challenge our, our natural um, dispositions that kind of push us against the, the dominant, cultural, popular, common way of, of thinking. And we've talked about how we understand failure in the past weeks. We talked about, a few weeks ago, letting go of revenge. And last week we talked about the need to take hold of um, forgiveness. And all of these things which really do challenge us and are, and are very um, difficult for us to embody and, and, and live out. And, and today is no different. As we continue this, this, this series lined up wonderfully with um, our Stephen Ministry Sunday because of what we talk about today fits so well with, with the tenets of Stephen Ministry as we begin to evaluate and examine what Jesus teaches us about what power and glory looks like in a kingdom, in a kingdom mindset. Now, to set up the text, to set up the, the reading this morning, you, you've got to understand that we're at one of these places that we come to often in the Gospels where we clearly see that that there is between Jesus and the disciples um, what we would call a failure to communicate. And now that failure is not on Jesus. But, but the, the point is that there is, they're, they're at this place where it's very, very clear that what Jesus has been trying to teach them, the lessons he's been trying to impart, the understanding he wants them to take hold of, just hasn't taken root. And what he's saying and what they're hearing are just not the same thing. You've been there before with somebody? Yeah, you have those kind of conversations where you know that what you are trying to communicate, what you're trying to teach, what you're trying to, to impart or, or say is just not getting through. Now, sometimes that's because of our failure as communicators. Uh, that happens sometimes. I, I, you know, I've, I've had those moments more frequently than I care to admit when I know what I'm trying to say, but it's very clear I'm not saying it very well. And whether it's in one-on-one -on -one conversations or, or, or conversations with, with family members or, or sermons, sometimes you just know that it's clear here, but it's not coming out clear here. But sometimes that failure to communicate is in the part of the listener. Sometimes the failure to communicate is because we bring into every conversation, we bring into every moment our preconceived notions our ideas and our, our, our pre prior understandings of the way the world works, the way things work. And sometimes that means we don't really hear what people are saying. You know, or, or that you're just not listening. You hear the words, but you're not listening to what's being shared. This happens in, in our po political com conversations all the time. Because we all bring our, our preconceived notions, we bring our ideas already in, and we don't really hear what somebody else is saying. That's one of the things that... Uh, that's a whole different point, but is a real problem for us right now. We just don't hear each other because we've already, in many ways, have an idea of the way things ought to be. And so there becomes this impasse. Well, that, that's what happens here. That's, that's what I'm setting up with the scriptures. Another one of those places where it just becomes clear that what Jesus has been trying to teach and impart to his disciples just hasn't landed. They haven't yet got it. They will, but they haven't here. And, and there's just kind of this clash of two very, very divergent understandings of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And so, let's turn to this scripture in Matthew uh, chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, and subtitled in 
um, the, the scripture, the Bible that I'm using this morning, uh, a mother's request. It's the, the mother of James and John that kind of steps into the story here. So let's, let's read here, beginning at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, again, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us, let us pray. Let us pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for uh, your word, your challenge to us, and we just pray you'd open our hearts in these moments as we worship together, as we spend these moments just letting your word wash over us. Uh, may it touch our hearts and change our lives, that we would become more like Christ and more of who you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus. Amen and amen. So Matthew 20, what I just read from, we're dealing with five days prior to Palm Sunday. You know, Jesus is, is the, the scriptures in Luke describes it, one of my favorite phrases to describe this part of Jesus' ministry and this kind of turn in his ministry is that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. That's, that's where he knows this culmination of his earthly ministry is going to take place, his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And so the, the, the narrative, the story, the, the, the movement of Jesus and the disciples is in that direction. And so just in a few days after this teaching will come Palm Sunday, as in a week will be our celebration of Palm Sunday. And Jesus has been trying to prepare his disciples for this, but again, it, it hasn't landed in fact, right before this reading, in the, just the verses just prior to this, Jesus, for the third time, predicts his death. For the third time, he basically says to the disciples, this is what's going to happen. And it's clear they just, they don't, they don't get it. And part of the problem is they understand what Messiah is supposed to look like. They've heard this prophecy. It's part of the, the tradition of their faith. And they have this image of, of King David and this mighty warrior and this military kingdom. And that's what they're still stuck on. And so they're still thinking that kind of glory, that kind of power, while Jesus is taking on the role of this suffering servant and he's preparing go, to go to Jerusalem to lay down his life. And there's just a radical disconnect. They're thinking of, by being attached to Jesus... We can have power and prominence. And Jesus is thinking about suffering and sacrifice. They're thinking if we're attached to Jesus, we can have political prestige. But Jesus has taken on the role of the, the suffering servant. They're thinking if we have 
Jesus. We're, we're going to be part of a, a military kingdom, a dominant um, reign of authority, and, and Jesus is preparing to take up the cross and die. I mean, it couldn't be further apart. And it gets exemplified by this question that James and John's mother asked. I think that's an interesting turn of events. These are not kids. These are adults. But mom steps into the story because, mothers, you know, your babies are always your babies, right? No matter how old they get. So mom's looking out for her kids. And probably her kids are looking out for her kids. And just ask a simple question. Jesus, in your kingdom, and we know it's coming because you're Messiah and we believe it, let my boys have your, the seats of right and left. Let them be closest to you. Understand, these are the seats of importance. Well, we know this with celebrities. We, we act this way. You see somebody, celebrity, and you just want to be close to them. If it's somebody you idolize. If it's somebody, you know, you look up to. I remember years, years ago when Tony and I went on our honeymoon cruise. Um, and you guys, many of you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. Always have been a Cowboys fan. Get on that cruise, and I walk into, into the, the, Tony and I walk into the casino. We're just passing through. And um, we were, honestly, that's the truth. I was just watching. But uh, I end up standing next to this guy. I've told this story before, this African-American guy. He has his back to me. And he was about my height, but he was clearly better put together than I am. And um, long story short, he turns around, and I see this gold necklace, and he's got number 22 on it. That was Emmett Smith. Now, as a Cowboys fan, that's big time right there. And I was just, I mean, I was 22 at the time, but I, I was 12. You know, I'm just like, I just wanted to be close. I never bothered him because he was on vacation with his family. But I wanted to be, if I saw him anywhere, I just got as close to him as I could because that's Emmett Smith, you know. And, and so we, we, at least, I don't know, maybe you don't. I do that. You know, you want to be close. Well, this is far more significant. Um, um, the, the mother of James and John wants the boys to have these seats of prominence, these seats of importance. Because that's where power and prestige and influence is going to reside. And Jesus looks at her and looks at them and says very simply, you don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea what you're asking for because they still don't get it. And Jesus knows these seats don't come with what you get. But these places are defined by what you're willing to give, what you're willing to lay down. And he asks them, are you willing to drink from this cup? It's his way of saying, you're walking, I mean, you're talking the talk, are you willing to walk the walk? And in time, they will be, and they answer yes, but they don't know what they're answering. They will walk that path. They will live that kind of faithfulness, but they think right now it's not a, a place of sacrifice. They think it's a place of prestige and honor because they don't understand what power and glory looks like in the kingdom of God. So they say, yeah, let me like somebody offering you um, you know, a bounty of recognition or prestige or influence or money or wealth. I mean, who's going to say no? Yeah, I'll take that. That's what they think they're signing up for. That's not what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus continues to have to work to reorient their pursuit of greatness, their uh, ambition. The ambition isn't wrong. The pursuit of greatness isn't wrong, except when our definition of what greatness is, is misguided. I mean, we all have that need we all want to be, J. Wallace Hamilton called it, uh, we want to be in the um, drum major position. We want to lead the parade. Uh, Alfred Adler, the father of modern psychology, said that our greatest need is the need for influence. We, we want to be significant. We want to, to be somebody 
important, right? And that's not inherently wrong. That drives us. It moves us. It motivates us. But when that drive is driven by selfish ambition rather than service to others, as God's kingdom calls, as the way of Jesus exemplifies, it becomes misguided. And it becomes toxic to our soul and to our walk with Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to squash our ambition or our desire to have impact and influence or significance, but he wants to guide it in an appropriate way that reflects his kingdom. That reflects his kingdom, and that is always defined by service. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They don't get that yet, but they will. And that's what happens, because after... The, mother's ha- the mother asks this question. The rest of the disciples get irritated, right? They get ticked off. Now, is it because James and John are being um, selfish? Yeah, but probably because James and John asked the question before they could, you know? Because they all wanted those seats. And James and John are being selfish. They're only thinking of themselves. You know, I mean, we joke, we joke all the time about, or I joke, and I I used it the other day, about getting really, really mad at those people that drive up and then try to force their way into the line at the last minute, right? How selfish. But let's be honest. I've done it once or twice. (laughs) But that's okay, right? That's all right, because it really was. It was an emergency. I mean, I was late. I'm not being selfish. I mean, I just really have to get where I have to go. You're being selfish. That's okay for me, right? Isn't that the way it works? So, so that's what happens. They're, they're irritated probably because they didn't do it first. And Jesus redirects their thinking. And that redirection is what we just need to let sink in very, very briefly this morning. Why should we be so conscious of blind, selfish ambition? Because that's what James and John are motivated with. Why do we need to be aware of that? Why does Jesus warn us so much about that? Well, there's two points I want to make this morning. One is that blind, selfish ambition makes us incredibly arrogant. It makes us incredibly arrogant because it's all about me. It's all about me. And it begins to inflate our sense of of self-worth. The sense of self-worth is healthy to a point, but when it becomes at the expense of others, when it becomes us putting ourselves above others, God really wants to kind of deflate that sense of ego that we have. And, and God will put people in your life, if you're attentive to it, that will bring you down a notch when you need to be brought down a notch. We need those people in our lives. You know, I, I have those people. Tony sometimes is that person in my life. And I don't say that. She does it out of love, not because she's trying to, to crush my spirits, but because sometimes I need to have my priorities reoriented. My kids will do that for me every once in a while, much to their joy. Um, <laughs> We need those. There's, there's a story of a senator in the 60s and 70s. Hale Boggs was his name. And he was, uh, I, I think he was from Louisiana. But um, he was invited to speak in Washington. And he spoke in front of this great crowd. And uh, it was one of those times as a speaker, if you've, if you've done public speaking, you've had those moments where you just know you're on. I mean, it's working. You're connecting. People are enjoying it. Uh, it was, he was just at the top of his game. And at the end of his speech, he got a standing ovation. And afterward, people came up and told him how wonderful it was and how wonderful he was and, and just really patted him on the back. And he gets in the cab after the event. He gets in with his wife, and he looks at her kind of smugly, and he says, Honey, you know, there are just 
there just aren't that many great leaders in Washington nowadays. And she looked at him and said, honey, you're right. And there's one less than you think there is. <laughs> we, we need those voices because blind ambition, a, pers- a misguided pursuit of greatness, of power, of glory, becomes incredibly self-centered. It becomes about us. You know, it's interesting. Most Sundays, we didn't this morning, but most Sundays in worship, we pray the Lord's Prayer in, in all of our services. You know, there's no I in the Lord's Prayer. You know, you know that? It's us, we, ours, others. There's no I. It never becomes about you or it never becomes about me. But it becomes about God's kingdom work and, and what we give and what God gives us as a community together because we, we serve together. And so we have to be careful of, of a blind ambition that, uh, that runs that risk of, of making us incredibly arrogant, incredibly self-centered. The other thing that blind ambition does is it makes us adversarial. We have to succeed at the expense of others because others become our competition. I was thinking about this in the the very simple example of uh, musical chairs. We've probably all played musical chairs at some point. There's always one less chair than there's people in the game, right? So that means you are not looking out for anyone but you. And, and you know the strategy of musical chairs, you walk as slowly as you can when you're in the right position and as quickly as you can when you aren't. And when the music stops, elbows get thrown, shoulders get dropped. I mean, it becomes, i got to get you out of the way so I can have that spot, right? That's the way the game's played. Well, the problem is when that game becomes life. And what happens is we begin to look out for ourselves because you are the adversary. If you get what you want, I may not get what I want. It's interesting that James and John go together to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 10, this story is told. And James and John ask that same question. It might have been asked twice. Maybe mom didn't like the answer James and John got the first time, so she went on behalf of her kids the second time. I don't know. But the point is they ask the very same question. But James and John are part of a kind of a, 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 a... triumphant, I guess, three. You know, there's always three mentioned. There's, there's the 12 disciples, and then there's three kind of in the inner circle. And it's James and John, and who's the third one? Peter, right? Yeah, Peter. The three of them are always mentioned together, except this time. There's no Peter in this equation. Why? There's only two chairs. There's one on the left and one on the right. There's three of us. If Peter gets that spot, we don't get that spot. It becomes adversarial. It begins to to, to destroy the cohesion and, and the, the unity of a, a shared mission and ministry. We, we have to be very aware. We have to be, a, we have to be self-aware of that because it's an easy tendency. It's a natural tendency to fall into. Blind ambition that makes my acceleration important at your expense. And we do this in our professions. We do this in our churches. I got irritated as all heck the other day. Tony came home and she said, Sub magnet on the back of a car and um, it was one of our Parish United Methodist Church magnets right except whoever took it had cut out the Parish United Methodist Church or cut out the United Methodist Church part and it just said parish and they stuck it on the back of their car and they had another church sticker on I said that ain't right that means they came here liked our magnet but didn't like our church and they went somewhere else now you know what that bothered me it shouldn't have. What should have given me joy is, well, they found a church. Because, look, we're not a church for everybody. No church is. 
but that wasn't my natural instinct. My natural instinct was take that sticker off their car. If I see them, I'm going to get it. Because it becomes adversarial. It's easy. It's just so easy to fall into. That's my point. We, we just have to be so aware. That's not who we're called to be. And that's not the example of Christ. And it pushes us against our natural tendency. It pushes us against our, our inclination. There was, a, there was a, an article years ago. There was five reasons why Mr. Rogers is the greatest American. All right? And you know what the number one reason was? He gave himself fully for others. That's, I mean, and not surprising. He was a Presbyterian minister. He was a follower of Jesus. He understood what the kingdom of God looked like. We need to grasp that. It's tough. It challenges us. It pushes us against our inclination. But it begins to reflect and embody Jesus. Jesus who says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why would it be different for those of us who follow him? Let our, let, let's be driven by ambition and the desire to make an impact. But let that never be at the expense of others, but rather in the service to others. We don't rise by being above others. Remember the example of the, the Pharisee and the man, the, the tax collector, the Pharisee, who stood and said, I'm glad I'm not like them. And the broken man who prayed for just for a measure of God's grace. Jesus said, that's who we're called to be. Not above and over, but with and sometimes under as we lift others up. The definition of greatness in God's kingdom is not material possessions. It's not prestige. It's not the title on your, on your desk. It's not the size of your bank account. It's this question. How many people have you helped? How many people have you helped? That's the measure of power and glory in the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us to be that kind of people, to help others, to impact others, to bless others, and in so take on the very character, the nature, the likeness of Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask it in his holy name. Amen and amen.